How many of you guys are blessed by that? Anybody blessed by that? Good news, right? That's why, that's why you, like one of our values in Jesus Church, um, we don't really do like mission statements, we do values. We value the Holy Spirit. So that means that we, because we value the Holy Spirit, we will always make room for him and make space for him. All right, Ecclesiastes, it's funny because Ecclesiastes says, you know, don't be hasty to leave the king's presence. And uh, one of the biggest keys to really encountering Jesus and encountering the Lord is not being hasty in his presence, right? Moses, it says when he's walking, it says he sees the burning bush and it says, and when Moses turned aside to see why the bush wasn't consumed, the Lord spoke, right? So it wasn't just that he saw the burning bush and the Lord spoke and drew him in. It was once Moses inquired, right? Once Moses turned and actually investigated what was going on, that's when, he, that's when the Lord spoke. So many times the Lord like walks through the room and you want to, it's just like the picture of like the guys in the boat, right? It's in the storm and it says Jesus would have passed them by, which doesn't make any sense to me because it's like the whole story, it makes sense that Jesus is going to come and rescue these guys in the storm. But it says Jesus walking on the water would have passed them by, but they cried out to him, right? So it's like there's so many times that Jesus just comes and it's like Proverbs, I was just reading it the other day, whatever it is. What's the date today? The 28th. It was probably the 27th. Proverbs 27. <clears throat> if, you read, if you read Proverbs, there's 31 Proverbs. You can just read them every day. One proverb a day. Keeps the doctor away. But <laughs> it's, it says it's the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter, right? So the Lord hides things for you to seek it out because in seeking it out, there's a relationship aspect of, of relation, or in, there's a aspect of relationship and seeking it out, right? There's, it's, it, that's why Jesus always spoke in parables because he wants people to inquire of what it actually means and to seek him out, right? Because he doesn't just want us to grab the truth and run with it by ourselves. He wants you to walk with him and learn what he means by what he's talking about. It's incredible. He's an amazing God, right? He hides truth and freedom in relationship with him, in your secret place with him, in your time with him. That's why it's important for you to slow down, spend time with Jesus, right? You can't kiss, like, I, I love one pastor, he says, God doesn't kiss moving targets, or you can't kiss a moving target, right? You have to slow down and have intimacy with the Lord. But that's why we value him. Because we value him, that's why we do what we do. That's why we take our time. That's why we don't rush past things. That's why when we feel like God's going to do something, we're going to, like, right there, this is how I think. So Jared gets a word, just to kind of give you guys a little insight. Jared gets a word that God wants to move through tongues and interpretation, which is a gift of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's more kind of unpacked in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is what Jared talked about, right? It's a gift of the Spirit. There's a whole chapter written on it. There's actually three chapters written on it, but there's 14 really talks about the gifts of interpretation of tongues, or tongues and interpretation and prophecy. We need to make room for it if Paul's going to take a whole chapter out of the Bible and tell us what it's about and tell you how to do it in a church gathering. So Jared says that this is what the Lord speaks. The Lord speaks, and you can feel it hit the room when Lauren interpreted it, correct? Does anyone else feel that when it hits the room? Yeah. Like the Holy Spirit moves on it. He's just like, this is what I want to do. You're, you have a response now to what he just spoke. So I sit here and I go, all right, Lord, what do you want to do with what you just said? So many times everyone's like, wow, that's amazing, and then they're gone. That's not, that's not what God's looking for, right? There's a reason that there's, that there's a bunch of different types of ground in Mark chapter 4 when he talks about the word being sown, right? 
the one that springs up and is excited, it doesn't last the heat of the day. You got to make sure the roots stay deep, right? You make sure you settle and you let that thing become real to you, right? It's not just one, it's one thing to come up and be like, man, that's amazing what you just said. It's another thing for you to come up six months, six months later and be like, man, what you said six months ago has really become real in my life. There's a difference, right? I hear it a lot, and I'm not against you if you've come up and told me it was good and what I said, but it's like so many times that I just want to be like, you need to sit and make sure that that becomes real to you. I've done it myself, right? You think you, think you hearing it and knowing it is the goal, and it's not. Becoming it is the goal. Letting it become who you are is the goal, right? That's why anything you see in Scripture is available for you to live it out, not just to know it. You, you, and you can't live it out apart from relationship with him, right? So when he speaks like that, I'm like, all right, Lord, what do you want to do with what you've just spoken? And then he says, all right, I want to do this right here with, all the, with the altar, everything. I said, okay, let's do it then. Because what he's doing is he's, he's speaking a word that wants to produce a harvest in people's hearts, right? But we need to be good gardeners of our heart and let him do what he wants to do. We talked about it a little bit last week about conviction and, and um, like your conscience and, and how you address and how you handle conviction. The Lord just doesn't speak just to speak. He wants to speak so that he can address something, right? He wants to bring something up so that he can deal with it. Right? God doesn't just reveal, like, reveal something. Maybe if it's not fruitful, he doesn't just reveal something not fruitful in your life. He reveals it so that he can take it out because it's not who you are. Right? God does not just point people's sin, though. That's not how he rolls. He's the one that sets people free from sin. Right? It's so good to me. That's why, he's, that's why his, his goodness leads a man to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse... Romans chapter 4? Oh, 2 verse 4. I was about to say. I looked at Jared like, tell him that he's wrong. <laughs> Romans chapter 2 verse 4. It's the goodness of the Lord. It's, a, it's God's goodness that leads a man to repentance. So we need to make sure that when he speaks and when he gives opportunity, to, when he flows with his Holy Spirit, when he flows in a word of knowledge, when he flows with a gift, we need to respond correctly to that gift. We need to respond correctly to that word, right? There's a necessary response on our end. It's so crazy because, like, like that's why, that's why, like, church attendance is not your goal, right? That's why, like, reading your Bible is not your goal. Knowing Jesus is your goal. Knowing Jesus is your goal. Understanding what that, understanding who he is. What's up? The Holy Ghost. Hey guys. So last weekend I went to a men's counter and was freed. Freed from just sin and just anxiety. And what we're speaking on is like just being free and set free and just giving yourself to the Lord. I, I was, like, it, I spent three days just worshiping and just being able to surround myself with the Lord, and it, it's true, just, God is glorious, and just giving yourself to the Lord and prop, just being able to surround yourself in his scripture and his worship and his testimony and being able to just set yourself free is just, it's, it's, it's good. It's really good, guys. 
and being able to just have that gone. So before, before this, I've been struggling with anxiety and depression and stuff like that. And after that, I just finally was able to get myself baptized last weekend and just fully admitted myself to the Lord. And it's glorious, guys. It's glorious. It's really good. That's why, um, that's why, no, can you put that back where I got it from? Thank you. Um, that's why we were talking about it earlier in pre-service prayer, but I believe that there is a, look at Luke chapter 7. This is what I felt. We've been talking about the love of God, and it's really good what you said, Cameron. Um, I was listening to a guy yesterday, um, and he was preaching, and I was like, man, this is just like really impacting me. And I was like, so sorry that I stole someone's message. I'm about to share some of it, but. Holy Spirit gave it to him, so. Um, there's a, like what Cameron's talking about is like the encounter that Jesus had with Cameron that opened his heart to just give him everything. Like, surrender is our goal. Your goal is surrender. Your goal is to give everything to Jesus. He doesn't want half of it. He doesn't want just a little bit. He wants all of it, Right? We don't incorporate Jesus into our lives. We give him everything. But when we see him clearly, we'll give him everything. But if we don't see him clearly, we'll hold things back. Does that make sense? If you don't understand what Jesus has done for you, you'll have a hard time surrendering to somebody that you don't understand has given everything for you. Right? That's the biggest thing. And so many times we can fall into like, well, like we need to surrender. Or we need, I need to be more surrendered or I need to... You know, this person needs to get more surrendered. They need to give more to Jesus. They need to give it. They're holding things back. All that stuff. When Jesus is fully put on display, he draws all men to himself, right? What is it like? It's super convicting to read about the early church and read about the underground church and read about all these places where there's, there's heavy persecution on the church. And these people just willingly choose to just give everything for Jesus with no, like, like I was reading a, a, a book and they were talking about... <clears throat> One of, the, one of the 12 apostles got put on trial, or church history says that this is how he died. He got put on trial, um, and somebody falsely accused him in front of the jury, or whatever you want to say, the, whoever it was, Roman, Rome or Sanhedrin. But they were, he got put on trial, and then he was falsely accused, and he didn't defend himself. And he just, he just sat there and took it, and they condemned, him, they condemned him to death. And the person that falsely accused him in that moment was so convicted by the guy's response that he gave his life to Jesus on the spot. But with doing it, giving his life to Jesus on the spot, actually condemned him also to death with him. And he chose, they both chose, they walked together to be beheaded because this guy was so convicted by what he just did and, and the response by this man that knew Jesus that they both walked to be beheaded. And as they're walking, he says, I need you to please forgive me. And he turns and says, absolutely, I'll forgive you. And then they were both beheaded on the spot. Right? But that's because there's something so much more greater than what we're living right now in this, in this present world, right? And if we could see that, man, we would be foolish to hold anything back. 
But that's because we understand an extravagance of what God has done and what his love is. That's why, his, that's why no one loves God first. We, we read what the characteristics of love are a couple weeks ago, but nobody loves God like that first. You encounter that love, and because of that love, now your response is to give everything. There's nothing more you, why would you want to keep anything, right? That's what Cameron's talking about. He experiences in a forgiveness and a transformation and where God looks at everything in your life and still chooses you and still calls you, still wants you, right? And washes all that stuff clean and pulls you out. Well, there's nothing more you want to hold on to, right? I was like, I love it. A guy I listen to, he's like, you, <laughs> he's like, all that God's asking you to do is give everything that you were never created to be in the first place, right? What you're giving up is just depression, anxiety, fear, shame, guilt, condemnation. A man that was never created to look like that, you're giving all that stuff up to follow him. But surrender is so, it's so crazy because you see the people that, you know, people that we hold in high esteem, like that story I just told you, you see the 12 apostles, they recognized and they encountered something that literally they gave their life to. It wasn't hard for them to give their life to it, right? We're not, they weren't sitting there being like, man, am I going to, you know, take up my life again today or am I going to take up the cross today? It wasn't even a thought in their mind. Because of, what they, because of a love that they encountered. It wasn't just, they weren't, like, surrender doesn't come from striving. Surrender doesn't come from trying. Surrender comes from an encounter with the love of God and the person of Jesus, right? When you see the cross clearly, you'll give everything to it. Like, there's so many things, like, that I read in Scripture. If you look at the way Paul lived his life, it's really convicting. It's actually super, super convicting. The Apostle Paul, the way that he lived his life is super convicting. Like 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where it talks about what Paul went through to preach the gospel. It says, five times I received 40 minus one, which is what Jesus, right, received, 40 minus one. And they minus one just so that they wouldn't go over 40 because it was, it was against the law to go over 40 because it could kill you, right? It was, it was considered like gruesomely brutal beating. Five times you receive that for preaching Jesus. Like five times. Not once, not twice. Like if, if we're honest, like if you think about that, you received, you got beat like one time, 39 times, right? You got beat that one time for preaching Jesus. And then you just say, I'm going to continue to preach the same thing. And then it happens twice. And it happens three times. And it happens four times. And zero times did Paul question the love of God for him. Zero times did Paul question whether he was outside God's will or doing the wrong thing, right? Because then he went back and did the same thing and got beat a fifth time, right? And it's like, I mean, one, like you do it one time and then you, I don't even think we understand that. Like I personally, I'm like, Lord, that was just super convicting because I don't know if I would want that. Like my flesh would, does not want to get beat a second time. I don't want to get beat a first time, but a second time for sure, right? But Paul was... It literally says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that Paul says the love of Christ compels us. That there's something in Paul that literally wakes him up to live a certain, a certain way. That he can't help it but, but to share what Jesus has done. He can't help it but to preach the gospel. Knowing that he's going to be persecuted for it. Like, in my heart, doesn't that just a little bit, like, intrigue you? That a man can live like that? Like, doesn't that just, like, if you look at that, doesn't that just a little bit, like, convict you and intrigue you that like, okay, maybe I don't live like that, but Lord, I really want to, because obviously there's a man that did live like that, a man, 
that follow Jesus that live like that. And there's not just one, there's multiple, and there's millions that live like that. Like, I'm the type of dude, and I don't just, like, see something that, that makes me kind of go, oh, that was really nice, and then brush it off. And that's what I mean by, like, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. Is there's, like, in the kingdom, it, you know, I, I listened to it in that podcast that Andrew sent me. It was, like, a, curiosity is, like, the gateway to revelation. Like, when you're curious and you see something, you're like, man, I got to understand what that's like, right? You see somebody that walks in peace and joy, it should convict you, right? Like, I remember I was telling Taya, we're, we're out on a date and we're sitting at Nip and Sip, and uh, <laughs> Taya loves Nip and Sip burgers. They're pretty good. For $4, you can't beat it, you know what I mean? Um, I'm going to take her, her family when they come. Her mom and dad are coming to visit in July because any burger you get in anywhere in Norway is $500, and it's not anywhere close to any American burger you can even touch. That's one thing Norwegians cannot even come close. Like, we were out on a date. I'm like, this is like, it was two burgers, one fry, and a milkshake. It was literally, what was it, $75. Are you kidding me? And it wasn't even a good burger. It was like Bob Evans burger. You know what I mean? <laughs> No, it wasn't a Bob Evans burger. It was, might have been, no, no, it wasn't that bad. They wouldn't have something like that. It was real meat, you know what I mean? No, it wasn't McDonald's either. McDonald's is better in Norway, Taya says, so she worked there. She's a lifer there. Um, but anyways, what were we talking about? Oh, um, <clears throat> I'm going to take your family there and be like, this is what it looks like, $4 greasy burger enjoy. Here's a Boston cooler. <laughs> but Mike's like, yo. Um, but I was sitting there and I told her, I was like, man, it's crazy that like five, six years ago or whatever, like I just got filled with the Holy Spirit and I literally would sit in the same town, you know, nip and sip, whatever, but in the same area and believe in my heart that people could hear God's voice, that people could walk in freedom, that people could, you know, see people get healed, that people could enjoy Jesus in their bedroom, that they could hear what he had to say and teach him and teach them things and experiencing zero of it, right? I was experiencing zero of it, but I knew that what I saw in the scripture was alive and real for people and I wouldn't, let, I wouldn't let anything change my mind, right? And that's why God does things in people's lives is because those attitudes in people's hearts, because they're seekers. God's looking for seekers, right? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him because when you seek him, he's not going to not reward you with himself, because you're seeking him. But it's just, I was like telling Taylor, I was like, I'm just so thankful. I'm like, I was sitting in the same place, you know, whatever. But I was sitting in this town like literally six years ago, whatever it was. Oh, dang, almost nine years ago. Dang, I'm becoming one of those guys. <laughs> nine years ago. But I believed, I believed that there was something that I was yet to experience, but I believed it was available for me. That's why it's so, so important to realize and to recognize when you see something in the scriptures, when you see something in people's lives, that it's available for you. It's not just available for them. God is not a respecter of person, right? He's a respecter of people's faith and their pursuit. When you see fruit in someone's life, God is not showing it to you so that you're impressed. He's not, showing, he's not in that business at all. He's, he's showing you something so that you can pursue it in your heart. And he's hoping that just one person steps aside and says, I'm going to go after that one thing right there, right? Man, that person loves people like that. I'm going to love people like that. 
That's what Jesus lived. Jesus modeled it, and the disciples were like, you know, and he's just like, follow me. And he, they knew that as a disciple of Jesus, as a disciple, a disciple was somebody that was a disciplined learner, that they wanted them. Jesus says it in Luke chapter, well, flip over one, Luke chapter 6, verse 40. This is probably the best scripture on discipleship that you can find. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. What are you guys opening your Bibles for? I told you to go to Luke chapter 7. Did you close it? I said 7. You didn't have faith that I was going to get there? Josh closed his Bible. It's like, we're not going to read that scripture. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Discipleship's goal is to make you just like your teacher, right? In, in, a, in a West or Eastern mindset, a disciple, a, a, an apprentice, whatever, you're not, you don't know anything until you can do what your, what your teacher has done and nobody can tell the difference whether he did it or you did it. That's impressive, right? We graduate college and think we know everything. For real, though, in, in the Western mindset, you graduate college, you're a doctor. You know, you're not a doctor. You've never, ever done anything. You know what I'm saying? You've just studied. Right? There's a doctor out there that's the worst, literally. No, I'm not, if you're a doctor, I'm not against you. But there is a doctor out there that is statistically the worst doctor in the world. Statistically. But he's still a doctor. Think about that. He's the, top, the bottom of his class, still graduated, still a doctor. But he might be the worst one in his entire class. That might be the worst one in the nation. Like, I just think about that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not against doctors. I'm just saying that there is a doctor out there that is that. You know what I'm saying? Think about that. Like, you still got your, like, you still got a, you still graduated. I'm not again, and I'm not saying that you're not smart, and I'm not saying that you're not good. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there is one that is the bottom line. Like, and I know I'm digging myself a hole, but I'm just saying, maybe I'm the only guy that's thought about that. You know what I mean? You've thought about it? Just think, I mean, but anyways, in the Western mindset, you graduate, and you have all this knowledge, and now you're like, well, I'm a doctor. But in Eastern culture, which is Middle Eastern culture, Eastern mindset, the way that the Bible was written in a Hebrew mindset is you're not anything until you can be exactly like your teacher. And what you do is exactly the same to where if I built a table, my teacher built tables, that you looked at the table, you couldn't tell a difference between whether I built it or he built it. It's exactly the same. That's what Jesus is looking for in our lives is where we do things and people are like, Man, that looks just like Jesus did that. We can't really tell the difference because we should be one, right? That where we live a life that's worthy of the gospel, that's worthy of what he paid for. And that's what I mean is in my life, in my personal walk and with Jesus, I do not settle for anything less than that. And I use all my faith for that, right? I don't have time to use my faith for anything else but just pursuing Jesus, yeah. Um, so I went to the same thing that mm -hmm. he did but for women. It's Women's Encounter um, about a month ago. And also experienced what real surrender is. And last night, um, I wrote something that I titled Surrender. And it says, one of my fears with surrender was that I would lose my security, safety, and protection. But only because those things were rooted in places that weren't of the Father. Mm. I know now that true protection, safety, and security come from being surrendered. I can't be fully protected if I'm not fully surrendered. I can't know the fullness of being safe if I do not give the fullness of my surrender. I can't experience true security in my spirit if I don't give up my full surrender. That's really good. And then uh, he also showed me that it's like if you buy a bunch of strawberries and blueberries and you paid for both of them 
and you put them in your fridge in the same bowl, but the blueberries are moldy. That mold is going to get on the, on the strawberries. If you throw away the blueberries, you're not losing anything because then your strawberries are still good. Mm. And so if you give up what wasn't supposed to be there, mm-hmm. then you'll get the fullness of what he has for you. So good. That's really good, right? And it's so sweet. Yeah. I just wanted to share, too, that I went with Cameron to the men's encounter mm. last weekend. And um, some of, a few of you know um, my, my personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, about a month ago, my life was turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And um, it's definitely spiritual. It was basically kind of, you can imagine, like the, the whirlwind that Job, um, his mm. family went through mm. when they, the animals had... Uh, room to just unleash a storm into the family. That's what I felt like. I just was tacked on all sides yeah. at the same time. And um, and um, it has to do with um, um, God God brought me and uh, mm-hmm. Laura Stekel into a relationship and we've been engaged since December um, and we were supposed to get married last weekend. Mm. Um, about a month ago, I, I got led into a spiritual trap of putting myself a little bit too much first, and there was other things going on. But through through this, I realized that that although I am sold out for Jesus, and I and um, I've my life has belonged to Him, um, and it's, He has been my pursuit. I was a little bit idolizing my f- fiance a little bit, mm. and so. Um, he revealed but, that to you last weekend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And, um, and a lot of you have been encouragement through this. And, um, and so last weekend, I was, you know, I just gave everything to God. I mm-hmm. gave my heart back to Jesus. And like you're saying, um, to know Jesus and to run after Jesus, to pursue Jesus, that's, that's our only calling. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I, and then, so I just came to a, a new strength last weekend that mm-hmm. with her, without her, you know, it's okay because yeah. Jesus is my everything. That's awesome. Jesus has my heart. Yeah, that's so good, and, Mark. Um, yeah. And I just have needed that strength. Along before, when I started the relationship, yeah. I needed that strength. But yeah. God's brought me to that strength and I got yeah. rebaptized. And honestly, when I came back, uh, it was completely God. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was prepared to, you know, wait two years for her to finish two more years of ministry school. Mm-hmm. But she approached me. Um, her parents, her parents were were heavily encouraging her too. And she approached me. It's like she wants to get married this summer. Mm-hmm. And so God completely restored our relationship. I, awesome. She's not here here this morning. We go to mm-hmm. another fellowship in the afternoon, but mm-hmm. um, she has been here before, but it's completely God. That's awesome. Back together. Praise God. <clears throat> yeah, that's super cool, man. And it's so funny because, like, I remember the Lord spoke it to me one time. He said, surrender is the key. Like, surrender is the key in the kingdom. Once we start to surrender, we start to unlock, things start to be unlocked, right? I remember there was a time where, um, oh, no, that's not worth it. All right, it's not enough time. Go to John chapter, or Luke chapter 7, verse 36. John, Luke chapter 7, sorry, verse 36. 
It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. <clears throat> Isn't it crazy that Jesus always comes when you ask him to come? It's <laughs> so good. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. I love the way like Luke writes, because Luke's always just like, he's telling a story. That's like, we're all sitting there. Behold, a man, a woman comes in who's of the city. <laughs> oh, that's great. But he's wanting you to look at something. That's why he's saying it. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, he spoke to himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, this is so funny. So the dude's sitting there thinking, thinking in his heart something, and Jesus answers what he's thinking in his heart. And Jesus was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to, said to Simon, this is so good. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And like what we're talking about in a place of surrender, <clears throat> I was just super moved. This guy was talking about it yesterday. He's like, what's better than surrender because you see that your need to surrender is surrendering because of extravagant love. It's one thing to do things out of obligation. It's another thing to do things out of love. It's one thing to do things because it's a commandment with a pure heart. It's another thing to do things because there is no commandment. It's just what you want to do. Man, we're all called to live that way. And I can find myself falling into the trap of I love God and I love Jesus and I love what he wants and I want to do what he wants me to do. So I'll see something that's commanded in the scripture and I'm like, I'll do that because I love him. It's another thing for me to do above and beyond that without even thinking about it because I love him. Does that make sense? It's one thing for us to live a certain way because what... You know, we think that 
I don't know, I think that we fall into it sometimes. We fall into the trap of doing things for Jesus and we're missing like the love, of Je- love for Jesus, right? We're doing things for the sake of doing them for the right reasons, actually. And we're doing them with the right heart, but we're missing that Jesus wants, them, wants us to do them out of an extravagant love for him, right? The greatest level of, and this is what the guy was saying, he's like, the greatest level of surrender is extravagance, not, not commandment, Right? Jesus commands us to, to forsake everything and follow him. But when you truly encounter him, you, he doesn't have to command you to do anything. Right? Like this woman, nobody told her to bring this fragrant oil, and he didn't command that. He didn't tell Simon that. Isn't that crazy? That was not what Jesus required when he came. He didn't give you a list of what he needed to come preach. Right? Jesus just came. He was invited, he came. Right? When he's invited, he'll come. And he came immediately. He came. And he's at the, he didn't say, Simon, this is what's required of you. I want you to wipe my feet, wash my feet. I want you to anoint my feet with oil, and I'd like some kisses. Right? <laughs> right? That's what I require of Taya. But. <laughs> Me and Taya have been going on dates and making friendly wagers whenever we do something like putt-putt. Because I don't like to play for... It's boring to me to just play in, out of bragging rights because I'm going to whoop Taya regardless. So it's like, so far. So far. <laughs> Unless we play, if we play cards or something, we'll, she'll beat me sometimes. But I'm like back massages. Like we have a, a budget for like personal like hobbies and fun. Like if you want to buy, if I want to buy hunting gear. And I'm like 30 more dollars on hunting gear. Oh, I said 50 and Taya's like, best I can do is 35. <laughs> and I was like, all right, 35. So then we're like, we're playing putt-putt, and I smoked her on this one hole. It, was, it wasn't even fair. I said, we'll just pretend like that hole didn't happen. And we just went to the next hole, still beat her. So, but, um, how was he getting on there? Oh, that's what I require of Taya. <clears throat> um, but Jesus didn't require that of, it, of, of anybody, right? That was not his requirement, but that was out of the woman's own pure heart and love for Jesus. That's what she chose to do, Right? If you think about the, the, the same story, and this is what the guy was talking about, is the same story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel. It was David's desire to build a temple for the Lord. It was David's desire to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, right? He's bringing, it's so crazy, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the place. You guys know the story? We don't have time to read it. I'm sorry. David is, Jared's like, we, we have time, but... David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into, the house, back into Israel. He puts it on a cart, right? Hauls it with oxen. You guys know the story? The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence and the, and the glory of God, what we just talked about. Yeah, we should read it. Go to Second Chronicles, right? Chapter. Man, have we ever turned to Second Chronicles? I think it's chapter 7, isn't it, Jordan? Or is it 2 Samuel? Guys, I might have to look this up where this is at. Does anyone know where it's at? 2 Samuel. Jordan. Second Samuel chapter six. 
And this is a lot, but we're going to read it. Verse 6 of chapter 1, or verse 1, chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. It says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from, the, from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill. If you just say these names really fast, no one questions you. So if you're ever reading the Old Testament in public, just say them really fast and no one's, no one's going to say anything to you. Because they don't really know how to say it either. So, the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill, and Yuza and Io, right, the sons of Abinadad, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on hearts, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Yuza put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Yuza, and, the, and God struck him there before, or for his error, and he died there before the ark. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Yuza. And he called the name of the place Perez Uza to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gideite, or the Gittite. This is so good right here. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Why did he bless him? Because the presence was there. Because God was dwelling in this man's house. They had no choice. Be blessed. <clears throat> We're New Testament Arch of the Covenant. Man, that's so good. Man, we should keep reading. All right. Now it was told... David, or King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, or Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle and David had, that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering his burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed to all among the people, or distributed among all the people, um, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, cakes of raisins. And so all the people departed and everyone to his house. Pause, little side note. If you ever read Song of Solomon, Solomon writes, revive me with your raisin cakes. This is what he's referring to. 
He says, revive me with your presence. Super good. So that's a side note for the Bible scholars. <clears throat> so I'm going to break this down for you really quickly. So David has a desire to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is an actual physical box with gold and all these things that had the glory and the presence of God, and he put it on a cart and drug it with oxen. As the oxen stumbled, the cart went to fall, and this guy tried to stop it, and, God, and he got killed because, because God cannot, man, this is so good. God cannot, the glory of God cannot touch a man that's, that's still sin, still filled with sin. Right? That's why God had to take away sin so that he could fill you with himself. Because his desire is to dwell in man, but he can't dwell in dirty vessels. That's why any time that anyone ever did, anyone ever came before the glory of the Lord, they all hit the floor like they were dead. Because God's presence, when it steps into a room, Man with sin cannot stand. Also, super spectacular, is that when you invite God into your house, into your place, into your presence, when there's sin, any way visible, any way present, Jesus steps in and forgives sin, washes it away, takes it away so that he can fellowship with the person. You see it in the, we just, we just read it in the same story in, in Luke chapter 7. Jesus, the very glory of God filled with him in a man, present in a room with a sinful woman. So good. Because Jesus' new blood, his new covenant, is sitting in the place to where he takes away the sin and forgives the sin so that he can fellowship with the person. That's what God's desire was all along. Right? And this should, this should really bless your heart. <clears throat> David realized very quickly that the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence and the glory of God, was, not called, was never meant to be carried on with, with oxes and carts. Does anyone know how it was supposed to be carried? On the shoulder of the priests. Right? Because God's glory, his presence, his power always dwells, always wants to be dwelled and carried through people that are surrendered to him. Right? That's why God just doesn't speak with a booming voice right here and says what, he, what Lauren said. He wants Lauren to say it. He wants Holly to, profit, to, to, to share it in a tongue. Because he wants his glory and his presence to come through people to bless people. He wants it to come through people that are surrendered and, and pure. Through people that have been forgiven of sin. People who have actually been transformed in their hearts and his presence comes. That's why you can stand right here and you can feel the presence of God in worship and we all don't die. That's why you can come up and say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit come inside of a man, and you don't burst at the seams. It's because God washed away your sin. Plain and simple. The blood, of, the blood of Jesus is the better in the new covenant that we talk about. It's not the old covenant. That's why when we touch God, we don't die. That's why when God shows up, we don't die. That's why when we shut our room and God comes and speaks with us, we don't fall over dead. Because it's a new covenant. That's why we can have boldness to come. Because it's on his blood, not our blood. It's on his good deeds, not our deeds. It's on his righteousness, not our righteousness. Sweetness. But David, in this story, said, okay, well, that, somewhere along the line, figured out that it has to be carried on the, on the shoulders of the priest. And he says, all right, let's get it back out of this guy's house because God's blessing him, and I don't like that. He said, let's bring it to the city of David, right? Let's bring it to Israel so that Israel will be blessed. And it says, every time that they took six paces, six steps, he was sacrificing oxen. He was sacrificing. He was dancing before the Lord. He was doing all these things, and God did not command him to do any of it. Isn't that incredible? 
man, I pray that we be a people that just do things for Jesus because we love him, not because of his commandments. Right? I pray in my own heart. I ask the Lord all the time. I'm like, Lord, I just want to, I want to be so stirred with passion for people. I want to be so, I want to be so in love with people because, and do things out of love for people, not out of just obligation, not because I know I'm supposed to do it. Right? Nobody wants to be with somebody because they feel like they're obligated to be with them. It's so crazy. David's doing all these things, and Michal, Michal, I would say Michael. Some people say Michal. Michael, Michal despises David in her heart because she's looking at what David's doing, and she thinks that it's shameful. Sometimes extravagant love for Jesus looks like it's undignified and shameful to somebody on looking because they don't understand. Right? Sometimes decisions that you make maybe look super, super foolish to somebody else that doesn't understand his love for him. Right? Sometimes when you make a decision and do something for Jesus, whether that be surrender, whether that be move out, sell everything, I'm going here, I'm changing this, I'm doing whatever because Jesus has called me to do it, it might look super foolish to everybody else on looking, but you understand his love. And it might just come from a place of extravagance. And I think a lot of times what we do is we start to say, man, I can't believe that person's doing that, or I, wish, I wonder why they're doing it like that, and that seems like it's kind of over the top, and all that stuff, we're just squashing people's love for Jesus. Right? Religion is, does a really good job at that. Right? We're on looking at what sometimes looks like it's undignified and kind of excessive. Right? It's kind of excessive to lay your life down and lose, actually lose your life for the sake of the gospel. That's kind of excessive. But in the kingdom, it doesn't look like it's excessive. And in eternity, it definitely will make a lot more sense to the people that are on looking. But it's extravagance. It's just like, it's so crazy. It's just like the, it's just like the woman that breaks her alabaster, her alabaster oil on Jesus' feet. Jesus says the reason that she did it is why? Does anyone know? Because she was forgiven much. She realized that this was salvation sitting in the room. And here's the, here's the catch. Is, is Simon says it, and people say it all the time, well, that person loves much because they've been forgiven much. I haven't been forgiven that much. They've done, they've done way worse than I have, and that's why they love much. And you just don't realize that that's self-righteousness talking. Because what he's saying is he's saying, you're just as guilty as she is, but you don't realize it. If not the same guilty or more guilty. He's saying that you're just as guilty, but you don't recognize the forgiveness that you've been given. And this is what we have to realize is if we leave the, the, the place of absolute forgiveness of God that your sins have been washed away, we will get ourselves into a place of working for God or being doing things out of obligation. If you feel like you're in a place of striving, you've left the reality that your sins have been forgiven. Right? If you feel like you're doing things out of obligation, you've taken your eyes off of the cross and what he's done for you. Or you think that you brought something along the way. Or you think that you can, like your righteousness kind of added a little bit to what Jesus has done. That's why, so that's why, I mean, whenever you give me a microphone, I preach righteousness and I preach the gospel. It's because that will produce in people a desire for God. That will produce in people's hearts a desire to surrender and give everything, right? When Evan and Taryn just go, hey, I'm going to move anywhere. I'll go anywhere and do anything. They've seen something that maybe somebody that doesn't understand that hasn't seen, Right? And in my heart, I'm like, doesn't that just intrigue you? Like, doesn't it just intrigue you that this person will just sell everything that they have and go and do something that's completely what I don't want to do, right? 
Doesn't that, just, like, doesn't that convict you even a little bit? And be like, man, what do they see that I don't see? You know? Like, you see somebody in worship that's just, like, weeping before the Lord, and they just, they're a mess, like an absolute mess, where they look ridiculous, and you're just like, man, that's not, not pleasant to look at, you know? But don't you, doesn't it just sit there and question, like, man, what do they see about Jesus that I don't see? Like, what do they, like, what, are they, what, what, what have they been forgiven of? What do they know that they've been forgiven of that I don't know? You know what I'm saying? And we're so quick to judge and be like, man, this person this and that person that. And it's like, man, I long for just a, a room full of people that understand it. I long for a room, and I'm not saying that we don't understand it. I say that we're pursuing it. But I mean, like, I long, like, I long to understand it and pursue it. Like, I long to just be like, you know, forget what everybody else says. You know, I'm, I'm not a dancer, but man, I'll dance. You know what I mean? But it's true, though, like, on the outside looking in, it might just look like it's foolishness, but on the inside, it might be actual, like, extravagant love for Jesus, right? God doesn't command, he doesn't command his ark to come in by all these sacrifices every six steps, but David wanted to do it for the Lord. Later on in the story, David's sitting in his, in his temple, or in his, in his palace, and he says, I'm sitting in a palace made with cedars, and God's dwelling in a tent. And he desires in his heart to build a temple for the Lord. It's so powerful. Because the prophet Nathaniel comes to him and says, on behalf of God, and says, nobody's, he goes, I've, from when I've left Israel and brought you out of Egypt, or when I brought you out of Egypt, he goes, I've dwelt in tents. He goes, but nobody's desired to build a house for me. And God didn't ask to build a house for him. Right? But David, out of his own love for Jesus, just said, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a, I'm going to build a temple for the Lord. I'm going to do this for the Lord. And David and it's so amazing because that whole covenant that God makes with David from then on, saying that, you know, the Messiah, the king, your, your, your kingdom is going to be established forever. I'm going to bring the line of the Messiah through your, through your lineage, and he's going to be called the son of David forever. And that's why I believe, personally, he was a man after God's own heart because he desired the presence of God above everything else. And he had a heart for God outside of what anybody else wanted or anybody else was doing the bare minimum and commandments, right? David was extravagantly going above and beyond. And God actually says, he's like, you can't build the temple, but your son can. And David says, okay. And he laid up a ridiculous amount of money for this dude to build the temple. Right? Out of extravagant love for, for Jesus, not out of obligation. Right? There's a joyful surrender in David where his life was not, he wasn't settled for just doing what God's commanded him to do. He wants above and beyond. And I believe like in our hearts, I believe that there's a settling in our hearts that's going to come when we we truly start to pursue what it looks like to be completely and utterly forgiven of everything that you've ever done and letting that spur you on to a sense of, of urgency, of, of power, of pursuit of Jesus, pursuit of people, ministry, whatever the case is, letting that spur you on to it instead of obligation. I believe that there's a generation that'll settle that in their hearts. And it'll be a lot more effective than obligation. It'll be a lot more effective than, you know, we're called to go to the mission field. We're called to, to sh preach the gospel. If we understand what Paul understands, where he's just like, you know, I pray that you understand the heights, the depths, the, the width, the breadth of the love of God. And Paul is going through what he went through to preach the gospel. And it's absolutely insane what that dude went through. And he's getting stoned and getting up and going back into the same place to do the same thing over and over again. 
and we wonder why he's doing it, and it looks like extravagant love. Because nobody else would go through what he went through. I don't even know if I would, if I'm honest. And I tell the Lord, I'm like, Lord, I want to understand that, and I want to see that, because that dude went through a lot. I couldn't imagine what Paul even looked like physically in his body. If you took that dude's shirt off, I wonder what he looked like getting beat that many times. You know what I'm saying? And it might look like he's wasting his life, but it might be a oil that he's pouring out and everybody else thinks it's a waste. Right? Because you'll stand before the Lord one day and you'll see Paul and he's not any bit upset about what he did. Right? And that's convicting to me. <clears throat> that's, con that's super convicting to me that, that, there's a, that there's men and women that have literally sought Jesus and lost a lot, way more than I have. And there's people right now that are seeking Jesus and doing things for Jesus that are losing way more than I have. And they must know something that I don't know. And that's just humble to me that I'm like, Lord, I got to see that and I got to know that. Because we are blessed to live in the country that we're in and we're blessed to seek Jesus the way that we get to seek him. But not everybody gets to do it like that. Right? Man, and I pray that we be a people that are just living in a place of extravagant love for Jesus. And what we do comes from that place and it comes from the wellspring of that. And if we find ourselves in any other thing, we find ourselves in discouragement, we find ourselves in despair, we find ourselves in obligation or frustration, man, we need to come back to the, to the foundation and the true north of, man, you looked at my sin and you forgave me of everything that I've ever done. Man, you looked at everything that I've ever done and you said, yeah, you're worth it. And I just need to rest there for a little bit and let his love impact my heart again. Right? It's like what we talked about the first week. It's like, I, I pray that we be people that sit and say, man, Father, thank you that you love me. It's so crazy that when I sit and do that with the Lord, it's so easy for me to come out and love my wife and love my kids better. And I'm just like, I don't know why, I don't know how, but I just let him fill me up in it. Man, I pray that we be people that aren't just surrendering for, for the sake of, of obligation or commandment. I pray that we be people that are surrendering from extravagant love. So let me, you guys close your eyes. Let's just pray for a second. I believe the Lord wants to. I believe that there's a place of response well, <clears throat> like we talked about. Maybe you, haven't, maybe you haven't lived like that. Maybe you haven't surrendered. Maybe you haven't been living from a place of overflow and love for Jesus. Right now, all Jesus is looking for is you just to desire it and want it. Right? Like, I'm not preaching to you guys. I'm preaching w with you guys. <laughs> Because I want the same thing. I ask the Lord all the time. I'm like, Lord, I do not want to do things out of obligation. It's so easy for me to fall into it. Because I have, usually people that have a pure heart for God, it's easy for them to fall into obligation. Because they desire what God desires, but they haven't sat and let him love them a lot, enough. So I just pray that there's a response right now in your heart. And I just pray that you just say, simply in your own words, just Lord, this is what I'm desiring. This is what I'm looking for. And I believe 100% it's available for me. As long as you believe it's available for you, man, everything can change. So just take that moment and talk to the Lord.
Father, we just pray that we encounter your love in the person of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. I pray that we establish this reality in our hearts and we don't let it <clears throat> we don't let it change. We don't move past it, Lord. And I pray we stay with the with the one commandment that you promised. You said that it's the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. I pray that we be people that are established in love and we let righteousness and forgiveness and mercy be the wellspring of what we do and where we come from. We settle it in our hearts, Lord, that there's so much, so much, so much love and mercy and forgiveness for us and it is never ending and we can always come and drink from that well. Lord, I pray that we be people that have a joyful surrender in our hearts for Jesus. And nobody has to tell us that we need to. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. A um, couple announcements as we finish. We have a, uh, a uh, cleanup day for the church. People have been asking about it. We're going to do it this Tuesday um, at 5.30. It's this Tuesday. It's the 30th. June is Thursday. No. Um, I think it's at 5.30, right? 5.30 up here at the church. We'll have pizza. Um, we'll have pizza up here at 5.30 for anyone that wants to come help. We have some jobs. You can come for, um, you can come do one job. You can just slip in and help for, you know, 20 minutes, 10 minutes if you got to go. Or you can come and stay the whole time and work your butt off, whatever you want to do. Um, we just got some things around the, the church that we're going to do and just, I don't know, we have a list of things. Jared's hounding me about it, so. Um, huh? Spring maintenance. There we go. So if anyone wants to come, that's Tuesday night, 5.30. We'll have pizza. Um, are we doing volleyball this week? No? Are we doing volleyball this week? You're in charge. You're going to be here? You want to do it? All right, we'll do volleyball this week if anyone's going to be here. What time? You guys start? Six? We start at six. Pick up volleyball games if anyone wants to come. So we'll still do it. And then Lord's Table event is next week. Judy has the sign up for the Lord's Table. She uh, will post it. Um, if you want to bring something, come talk to her. We don't know what the main dish is yet. Um, I think it's flaming yawn, but I'm not sure what she said she, she was getting. But... Um, It'll be cool, Lord's Table event. We're going to try to do it outside if we can, and we're going to break bread together. We're going to share in Jesus' body and his, and his blood and uh, fellowship together. Um, other than that, I don't think there's any other announcements. We love you guys. Have an awesome week. Thank you so much for worshiping with us.